After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go. We are kicking. Watch the blue. There we go. Yeah, baby. Hey, you got the power play. Get out of here. Hey. 36, right here for the rock. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting. Hey, hey. We're not doing this. I don't want to babysit all night. A little bit of nastiness today. Huh? Nothing good's coming out of this, big man. Have you seen this before? Yes, it's rule something, point something. He's not putting a stick in here. You keep your stick out of him. Here we go. Let's roll, boys. Let's go. Hey, 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 hey. Let's go. After further review, it's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Here's your hosts, Todd Lewis and Josh Smith. When you're ready, big guy. All right, guys, let's drop the puck. Happy holidays. It's the wonderful time of the year. We have the Christmas. We have the New Year's. It's kind of a cluster of holidays. Josh, this is a really nice time. There's holiday and tournaments and holiday travel. We hope everybody was able to make their travel. I know that's been a bit of a gong show for a lot of people, but those warm, wonderful traditions this time of year, you know, you've you've eaten too much for about the fifth day in a row and everybody gathers to kind of watch what's going on on television as the NHL resumes and there's world juniors and everyone can have those warm moments of of yelling at the officials together. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a shared, shared moment, right? That everyone comes together to uh, channel their frustrations at the men in stripes. It's, it's, the most wonderful time of the year. Actually, it's, it's most of the year, I guess. Yeah, yeah, true enough, true enough. This is the Scouting the Rest podcast. Please make sure you follow us on our social channels. You find Josh, of course, at Scouting the Refs on both Twitter and Instagram. You get me at Todd Lewis Sports on both Twitter and Instagram. On this week's episode, refs get the call up. Shaw sits for two. Careful how you say that. Leafs pay a big price. Uyghurs hit on McDavid. Taking a second look and World Junior Tournament Reminders. And you know what, Josh? Maybe we'll we'll start there. The World Junior Championships are underway once again. And of course, that is a, a huge deal in Canada. I equate it to March Madness in Canada is the World Junior Tournament. But we've had a lot of activity, and I know you have in particular on social media, about a few calls made during the tournament. And this is a good time for the reminder that the rules in international hockey are often different from junior hockey and the NHL. So let's let's look at a couple of things that might help people understand a bit better. Yeah, absolutely, Todd. There are definitely some changes when you look at double IHF rules compared to the NHL. But I think the biggest one, and we saw it earlier in the tournament with Canada, it's around head contact, illegal checks to the head or, or specifically checks to the head. Because in the NHL, we do have a penalty for an illegal hit to the head. And there are certain circumstances where head contact is unavoidable or where the player's body position contributed to the head contact or where initial point of contact or the main point of contact was the body, but there was some head contact on the play. Those are all situations where you may have a legal hit to the head in the NHL, and those don't apply internationally. We're looking at head contact being a penalty. So it's not the same standard, which is why we're seeing more match penalty calls. I know the penalty on Zach Dean, the five-minute power play that resulted from that, which ended up being two goals scored on it. That's the right call internationally because you're looking at where players have hits that include contact to the head. It's not the same standard as in the National Hockey League. If that were an NHL hit, we're definitely not looking at a match penalty. We're not looking at a major penalty. We're looking at, at, at most maybe maybe two minutes for an illegal check to the head, but I could even see them going with no call on the play just because of the way the players came together. The angle of the hit didn't look like it was intentional or headhunting. So 
it's a big difference. And it's one when you're used to NHL rules and you're you're following the game and you're watching all these hits that go either unpenalized or without a suspension. Now internationally, we're looking at junior players, international tournament, and it's a totally different standard. So a good reminder for folks to uh, to take note that the rule books aren't exactly the same, but one of the biggest differences is around those hits to the head. Big props to the officials, too, that often jump from one league to the next and knowing the difference. It's a, a bit of an education that fans get on the job that the officials have to do in this area. Absolutely. And and we've had guys that we've talked to who are studying two, three rule books at a time because they're working a college game one day and a, a pro game another day and then an international tournament coming up. And you need to know the differences. And, and they're pretty crazy. I mean, one thing, at least, that we've seen for the North American Pro Leagues and the IIHF is a, a closer standardization of the rule books. While the rules haven't been aligned, some of the language has been tweaked to be similar where there is similarity and the numbering system that they use in the NHL has been adopted by the IIHF. So we're not looking anymore at like rule 252. We're looking at situations <laughs> where we know that rule 69 is interference on the goaltender in either organization. So they, they've tried to make some changes there to make it a little easier to compare, find the differences and, and just be familiar with where things are in the rule book. Definitely helps when you're jumping from one league to the next, like American Hockey League officials Chad and Cody Hughesby. Here's the warm, fuzzy holiday story. They get promoted to NHL linesmen for the Edmonton-Vancouver game just before Christmas. There were lots of travel issues that many people have experienced over the holiday season, and the issues prevented scheduled officials Caleb Apperson and Trevor Garlitz from getting to Edmonton. So here's the cool part. Couple of guys that are local, Chad and Cody, they get the assignment. Isn't that a nice special gift at this time of year? No, oh, it was it was so crazy to see that. We knew there were going to be weather issues with the NHL official schedule. There are so many moving parts. There are so many guys that are traveling. Remember, these guys all travel independently. Some are going from a neighboring city. I think one of those linesmen was coming from Vancouver. The other was coming from about a week break. So he was coming from home, presumably. But you've got all the officials traveling from all the different places. We saw one referee switch towns. He was going one place. They sent him to Vegas instead. So all these moving parts. But in Edmonton, travel was an issue. So like you said, you've got local guys. You've got local guys with plenty of years of experience. I know over 25 years, they, they've spent decades in the WHL. They worked in the AHL. So the fact that you had two guys with long history and stripes, with with years of experience, international experience, both having worked world juniors and international tournaments with the IIHF lately. So if you had to have somebody step in for these two guys, for twin brothers, Chad and Cody Hughesby, the first twin brothers, and we, we checked, to uh, officiate together in the NHL. We've had some brothers before. We had the Dvorskis. We've got the Garlitzes now. We had the Mundys way back in the 20s and 30s, but never a pair of twins. So we've, we've got an NHL first, and what an amazing call-up to see them working in the game, to have this opportunity, and all because of some uh, some weather and travel-related issues. But man, they they did a great job, too. So not only did they get the call-up, but I think they 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 made a, a definitely a solid showing there on their first NHL game. Good for them. You hope they got the solo lap as well. And <laughs> since you since you mentioned Dvorsky's, shout out to Greg Dvorsky. I know his sister Mary and saw some photos of the family celebrating his retirement this past week with the Stanley Cup. Very cool to see that and good for Greg on having a tremendous career in the National Hockey League. Okay, a couple of things from games that have taken place and one, here's another sort of reminder, but it's an example of how a rule change worked. 
New Jersey and Boston playing this past week. A double minor penalty was called on Taylor Hall for high sticking. Double minor means you were able to review the call, had a look, found out it was friendly fire. There was no penalty. It was rescinded. And you know what? They didn't even need Kale McCarr in to say that there was no penalty. <laughs> Yeah, I don't uh, I don't I don't think you're going to have guys necessarily admitting it, especially when it's, hey, you know, sorry, it was it was my own stick that caught my teammate. You know, don't don't give Hall that penalty. there. <laughs> I don't think you're going to have anyone that magnanimous to offer that up. But no, it was nice to see that this is how the rules written. This is how it works. They acquitted Hall of the high sticking penalty. They got the call right. And. I know some fans were frustrated that, you know, why do they do this when there's blood on the play? I mean, the double minor rules are officially around an injury on the play, which just blood is the shorthand for obviously if you're bleeding, mm -hmm. you're injured. But, you know, if they can do it for this play, why not other penalties? Why not other situations? And I think the NHL has really looked at it from a severity standpoint with the double minors, with the match and the major penalties. Those are the ones that they have the appetite to put up for review and minor penalties are still off the table. So yes, it does come down to the fact of whether or not the player was injured driving, whether or not you can review the play. That's what happened in this case. And uh, they were able to get the call, right? So nice to see it working properly. I will put a pin in this, but we will discuss at a future gathering more video review and where it could be used. Um, I'm, I won't say any more now, no. but I think that there are room for improvement okay. in terms of more video. Okay. A uh, little Boxing Week special here. There was a two-game suspension given by the Department of Player Safety to Mason Shaw for kneeing Sharks forward Evgeny Svechnikov. It was Minnesota and San Jose. Svechnikov moved the puck up the boards. Shaw had him lined up, wasn't going to make contact. The knee went out, and yes, that was a major penalty, and he was tossed from the game. Player safety felt he should sit for a couple more. I think this was certainly worthy of additional time away from the game. Yeah, and I think the details are what make the difference here. We see lots of hits, and we've seen some knee-on-knee -knee contact lately, but I think the rule for kneeing is around leading with your knee or extending your leg outward, and Shaw knew he had to do either or both if he wanted to make contact on this play. That's what he did. I think the major penalty was the right call. I think the two-game suspension is. You're, you've got a guy who's committing a textbook kneeing infraction, according to the NHL rulebook, and putting another player in a really dangerous spot. I mean, uh, Svechnikov could have been seriously injured on this play. It, it happened that the knee hit when his one skate was bearing most of his body weight, so all the pressure was on that knee, and having... And having knee-on-knee -knee contact in that situation can be devastating for a player. So a really dangerous shot, one where you've got a, a more or less defenseless opponent and Shaw clearly making the attempt to make contact with the knee. So I think they got this one right. And again, we look at those dangerous plays. This is the, the type of thing where you could have a season-ending injury on this type of hit. And if I'm the NHL, these are the hits that need to be out of the game. So good call, guys. Since we're talking about the kneeing offense... Maybe we should look next at a situation in a game that, well, it often generates high emotions from both fan bases. And there was a play involving a superstar player that also heightened that uh, fan emotion just a little bit. It was, of course, during the Battle of Alberta, Calgary and Edmonton. These teams do kind of, uh, and fan bases do kind of get emotional, don't they, Josh? They, they bring out the worst in each other, I think. <laughs> okay, so Connor McDavid was doing Connor McDavid things and carrying the puck, he kind of jumped quickly to his right, trying to go around Calgary defenseman Mackenzie Weger. The two collided. 
there was a knee-on-knee impact. I will say that, you know what, maybe this could have been a penalty, maybe it should have been a penalty, but I personally will stop short at the conspiracy theories here that the league doesn't protect its stars, the NHL is totally soft, um, there should have been a line brawl afterwards because that's their meal ticket, and... It's not a conspiracy against the Edmonton Oilers to ever win another Stanley Cup. And I also want to throw some shame on the media member trolls that have goaded the Oiler and Flames fans into getting into reaction to help them with their bosses. It's It may have been a penalty. I'm not even 100% sure it should have been a penalty, but it wasn't as over the top as some made it out to be. It absolutely wasn't. And I think people are looking, you look at it in slow motion from multiple angles and you try to figure out where the contact took place and what exactly happened on the play. You called it though, Todd. It's McDavid doing McDavid things. And those McDavid things are often faster and more mobile than most of the defenders that he's skating against, Mackenzie Weger included. So you've got Weger lining up a hit. McDavid does a sidestep hop. Uyghur's now out of position to deliver that legal body check. He doesn't extend his knee. He doesn't put his leg out. He actually reaches with his upper body to try to tag McDavid on the way. And I think McDavid's knee, Uyghur's knee, there's set definitely contact there, but it's not a kneeing penalty. I mean, if you wanted to look at a possible trip, but even then you don't have Uyghur putting himself out. It's, it's McDavid getting around him and Uyghur not changing his stance necessarily, but just holding his ground and lunging with his upper body. So in no way is that a kneeing penalty. I mean, he he took the guy out. Uh, McDavid had the puck, clearly. But this is one of those situations where you've got a guy, and we've seen it in recent hits earlier this season. You've got a guy who's just doing so much and he's moving around and you're in a spot where I mean look you can showboat all you want you could still trip over a pylon and I'm not saying Mackenzie Weger is a (laughs) pylon here but he's basically an obstacle that's in the way and McDavid's dancing around him and yes there was contact but in no way can I call Weger for a trip certainly nothing that would be requiring of supplemental discipline or anything beyond possibly a tripping minor. But even then, I don't don't see him putting himself in the way other than being there, ready to deliver a legal hit that McDavid so elegantly sidestepped, got out of the way, moved out of the line of contact. He just couldn't get his knees out of the way of Uyghurs. Okay, so do you want to to incite people further? Let's let's say that this could be called legal knee on knee oh. contact <laughs> so we've, we've got uh, we've got illegal knee on knee contact and legal knee on knee. And, like head know, contact same thing and sometimes it's it's right sometimes there is legal knee on knee contact it it can happen through the course of a legal body check or when you've got a player who is so agile like McDavid is so fast that he puts himself in a spot where this contact happens. Believe me, I'm not blaming McDavid for it, but I can't blame Uyghur either because he, it didn't look like he was out to do anything against the rule book. It was just one of those unfortunate collisions that hopefully, or at least fortunately for these guys, didn't result in an injury. Let's talk about another team whose fan base often gets emotional as well, and that would be the Toronto Maple Leafs, who ran up quite a bill this holiday (laughs) season, as many of us have been known to do. So the team had a game scheduled December 27th with the St. Louis Blues. The way the CBA is written, coming out of the three-day holiday break, teams that are traveling must travel on the day of the game for the 27th. The players have to have three full days off. 
What happened was the Maple Leafs actually left early. They left on the 26th of December. Elliot Friedman had a little bit about it on his Twitter feed as well. Apparently they were planning to leave after midnight, which would have made them legal, trying to recreate as normal an experience as possible. Just a short flight from Toronto to St. Louis. But the plane left early. Now, I'd be willing to cut them some slack here because travel over the holiday season, as we've already discussed, was quite hellacious at times, but the league didn't see it that way and it cost them $100,000. Um, you know what? It's not a big fine in terms of the Maple Leafs. They've got lots of money there, but they are consistent because they did find Philadelphia a number of years ago for the same thing. Yeah, it's it's by the book. I mean, as far as the league goes, when they have these CBA negotiated terms, they're they're not really that flexible when it comes to discussion or bending them, even if the players prefer it. Because believe me, I, I saw Friedman's piece as well as uh, what some other folks contributed there. And it makes a lot of sense. If I'm a player, you know, would I rather wait until midnight to fly out or can we just get to the airport and take off at 10? It's it's a little bit closer to what I'm used to doing. It's not as unreasonable of an hour of travel. I mean, it certainly beats waiting until 5, 6 a.m. the next day. So the players all decide to do it, well, they're not allowed to. Just like players aren't allowed to renegotiate their contracts and, and any of the other things that the CBA accounts for. Even though the, the Maple Leafs players were happy with the arrangement and wanted to travel on the 26th, the CBA does not give them the option to decline. So they bite the bullet, they take the penalty. And, and you know what, from a practicality standpoint, Todd, you're right. The Maple Leafs, huge organization, plenty of money to go around. Even if the players had to chip in, I, I think uh, this $100,000 <laughs> may have been worth it to them to get a good night's sleep. I'm I'm pretty sure that they weren't passing a hat around on the plane. I'm pretty sure that the players weren't putting any money in there either. I don't think the CBA lets them. Yeah, true enough, true enough. Okay, so there was another fine issued post game from the Toronto St. Louis Blues contest, and that was over Sheldon Keefe's demeanor. The coach was quite upset at a couple of penalty non-calls that occurred during this game. One was uh, just prior to a, a tying goal by the St. Louis Blues. The Leafs did go on to win, but Sheldon Keefe got himself a bill for $25,000 for, uh, what, what was the exact phrasing, Josh? Demeaning actions uh, demeaning or something? Demeaning conduct, yes. Demeaning <laughs> conduct, yes. Now, the referees were Wes McCauley and Brian Pakmara, two veteran guys who have kind of heard it all. So personally... I'd be willing to contribute to that fine if I could get a copy of the transcript of yes. what took place between <laughs> Keefe and the officials. Oh, I'd, I'd love to hear what it was. I, I think there were a few concerns that that Keefe had. And, you know, just think how cranky he would have been if the flight had not been early. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but I think he, he took objection, especially because some of them were plays that he's seen before. So last year we had a playoff game where Justin Hall made a pick. The Leafs goal was disallowed because there was a penalty on the play. Wes McCauley was one of the two officials in that game. And Wes was back out there for this game with the Blues. And it looks like Keefe was calling for interference. He had his hands up making the interference sign, which good for him for reading the rule book and knowing what the signals were. But mm -hmm. it was nice to uh, nice to see that as he's complaining that it was the same type of play. And it wasn't. I mean, I, I get where he's coming from. You're looking at pick plays or a guy getting taken out. That one, we had a, a, a specific uh, player getting taken out that impacted what was happening in the game there and led to a goal. In this case, we had a defending player 
going back to the point, running into one of the opposing players, it really looked like incidental contact. There was no penalty on the play, and it leads to a Blues goal. So I, I get where Keith's coming from, and I know you want to argue those calls, but two totally different plays. I, I, I can see him trying to rally his troops. I can see that it was a key goal in the game, but it really it, it wasn't even the same play. So unloading on McCauley for that one was probably not in his best interest. And then the uh, missed high stick, which... Zach Aston Reese took a stick up high from Brandon Saad. No call on the play. Again, for fans, we talked about the high stick review. You can't review it. If they if the officials on the ice missed it, whether they thought it was a follow-through from Saad or whether they just missed which stick it was, and if you can't see it, you can't just call a penalty. You can't look at blood on the guy's face and say, well, that should have been a penalty. Let's take a look at it. It's not how the rule book works, and it's not what the officials have been instructed to do. So they miss that high stick call. There's no opportunity for them to take a second look or review it. Keith obviously can behind the bench and and he was furious and I, I get it all right they probably would have cut him some slack on this one but based on some of what he said earlier in the game and uh, what seemed to be a, a escalating temper and frustration again the transcript would come in handy here Todd it mm -hmm. uh, it just was something that after the game the league looked back and said this this was over the line and they slapped him with the fine thinking uh, a lot of that transcript would be redacted though oh, don't you that black marker would just be striking out complete paragraphs <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so there's one other play from a game between the Kings and the Colorado Avalanche I want to mention. Uh, this one involves Kings forward Kevin Fiala, who was given a penalty for boarding on Alex Newhook of the Colorado Avalanche. Newhook is kind of skating out of his zone. The puck is shot up towards him. He doesn't really corral it properly, and Fiala takes the opportunity to send him flying into the boards. It's, it is a penalty. It is a penalty for boarding. But again, you have to take into consideration all the factors of the rule before you start calling for major penalties and suspensions. I think this was a penalty, but I think that's pretty much where it ends. Yeah, I agree. I didn't think this was suspension worthy. Uh, any hit into the boards awkwardly from a certain distance can be a dangerous one, and you just hope it doesn't result in an injury. So when you look at the boarding penalty, it's a pretty lengthy one, and it, it admits up front in the second paragraph of Rule 41.1, there is enormous amount of judgment involved in the application of this rule by the referees. So it, it really is a judgment call. You know, how defenseless was the player? Did he know the hit was coming? Was this positioned where it would cause the most damage? Did the player pull up and try to minimize contact to minimize the impact with the boards? All of those are factors that the official has to consider in real time for a play that they're watching live. And I think they got it right on this one. It's definitely a penalty for boarding, but I don't think it's anything with any great degree of severity or violence of the impact to the board. So I, I think this one was good. I think it's definitely a minor penalty. I think that, man, you, you watch Newhook's face come real close to the dasher there, and th that's always a scary moment because if it mm -hmm. clips you right under the visor, uh, you know, you're getting the nose, you're getting the chiclets, you're taking it all out with that, that red piece of trim there. But didn't look like anything else other than a minor penalty for boarding, which is what was handed out in the game. There you go. The refs got it right here once again. So let's take a second as we get to our final podcast of 2022. Do we want to make some New Year's resolutions? Is there something that you do at this time of year? I don't really make resolutions. I just figure if I want to do something different, <laughs> I will start at the time. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. If, if there's something, you may as well start it right away instead of yeah. waiting for the right time to resolve. But I think I'd, I'd love to see the NHL resolve to give us a little bit more information on these plays. I know people have clamored for officials doing post-game press conferences or referee accountability. And while that might be a bit far, and, I, and 
on a side note, Todd, we've heard players in post games cliches out the wazoo here with what they're saying and it would be no different <laughs> from an official you put an official in a post-game press conference and i don't care if it's west mccauley or, or any of the the younger officials there was, you know from my position where it was i didn't see the call i, I didn't see it it wasn't a penalty or you know I, I looked at the play didn't think that was worthy of a penalty call what do you, what else are they going to say they're not going to say anything that's going to make anybody happy but maybe the officiating supervisors or maybe the situation room can give us a little bit more clarity on the rulings. Maybe they can provide a little more color on, hey, the the Fiala on New Hook, this is why it didn't rise to the level of a major penalty. Or when we get the situation room explaining that there was no goaltender interference on the play. Well, let's acknowledge that there was contact between the glove and the player, but the attacking player was outside the crease and it looked like the goaltender moved into him. So elaborate give us more information because then people can understand and not feel like they don't understand the rules that the referees are interpreting or what the situation room is saying so not not for us todd but i'd love to see the nhl resolve to give us a little more information a little more clarity in the new year i think that resolution would be broken fairly quickly as soon as the <laughs> official or the supervisor said that yeah the stripes gave 110 percent tonight <laughs> Good stuff, man. Way to work. Yeah, we're good, man. Too long. Let's go sit for a couple. Get in the box. It's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Read more at scoutingtherefs.com. Follow Scouting the Refs on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Scouting the Refs. Email the show at heyref at scoutingtherefs.com. Subscribe, share, and keep those sticks down. Okay. That's nicely done. That's good play.